Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Hump day! And a rainy one out there today. It's actually dark outside, is it not? Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Bit of a deluge. uh, uh, Yeah. So we went from the uh, frigid temperatures, the ice and snow, right on into the uh, the monsoon. What it looks like. There Damn, must have man. been a pretty close clap of thunder that didn't wake me up at about three thirty this morning, but it sure did wake up Porch Cat because it scared the crap out of her. <laughs> she went from sleeping on the couch in the front room to running into bed with me. Well, I can understand that is for sure. Gosh, we got so much to talk about today. Wow, and I appreciate uh, Mr. Richard Cross for filling in yesterday. I so enjoyed addressing the fine folks in Jones County at the Laurel Rotary Club, at the Laurel Country Club. That's where we were. I appreciate them having me and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. By the way, the catfish was excellent that we dined on yesterday. On the program, David Olson, president of ACE Scholarships at 1105. It is School Choice Week, as we informed you Monday, National School Choice Week, and we're trying to get some more school choice going down there at the Capitol. So we've got Mr. Olson to come in and share his thoughts on this legislative session, followed by Bill Kincaid at 1205. He, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, represents a District 52. He serves as the chair of the House Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Committee. We'll get Representative Ken Cade's outlook on the 2024 session, committee assignments, a legislation he's going to be working on this year. But what a massive announcement, uh, and I mean that literally and figuratively, as they say. The state of Mississippi right now, the governor is down there at the Capitol announcing a $10 billion economic project in Madison County. Now, I've been teasing this on the show for some time, and I'm, I will say I'm proud of uh, the Madison County Economic Development Authority, especially our executive director, the entire team, the, the Mississippi Development Authority, the governor's office, so many had a pivotal role in securing this massive investment 
But I'll point out, Rhino, that those of us on the board there at the Madison County Economic Development Authority have known about this for a while. And I'm proud that nobody else did, honestly. I, You know, I've really only been the last six weeks or so that you've started hearing some buzz about. And that has a lot to do with some of the work that's been going on behind the scenes. And people well, start yeah, the talking. circle of trust has to grow as more and more balls get rolling. That's right. And that's what's been going on. But I, I'm proud of my fellow board members and our team there at Makita, as we call it for keeping this uh, confidential. And by the way, why is that important? Because if it starts getting out in the public and the company finds out about it, it could torpedo the deal. That has happened before. Uh, Not necessarily here in the state of Mississippi, of which I'm aware, but there are examples of such. And that's, of course, by their request. And when you're trying to land the whale, you want to be accommodating while you're reeling it in there. I think one of the best stories about trying to keep a secret about a big economic development relates to the Yokohama Tire plant. Yeah. Because there were some leaders and some economic developers that were flying in the bigwigs of Yokohama to look at the site. But they still couldn't tell anybody about it. But as as a way to, like, impress them, they went and got Yokohama tires put on all their cars. Well, the the guy telling the story had just replaced his tires about a month earlier <laughs> and knew the guy that owned the tire place. And the guy that owned the tire place was starting to want like are we what's what's going on, man? These are you're taking brand new tires off and putting brand new tires on. Something smells. We call and he couldn't that. tell anybody. In the sales business, we call that dancing with he who brung you, is what way we describe it. So good move on that part. Things like that do get noticed, I can assure you. But this is unbelievable. Now, this comes on the heels of just last week at this time, the announcement of a $1.9 billion project, now a $10 billion project. This is monumental. And I've stated for some time that I thought this project in particular would be transformational for the state. I absolutely do believe that. I do think this is just the beginning. I think there's more that we will see from this company. And I also think that if uh, this project follows the, uh, the model, the progression of similar projects in other states, This will serve as a hub that will attract related industries, not necessarily suppliers like a manufacturing facility, of course, which would attract those who supply materials and and, uh, other inputs to the manufacturing process. This won't be that. It's just this is how they kind of like to congregate, sort of serves as a hub, if you will. That's what's happened elsewhere. That's what I anticipate will happen here. This will absolutely produce benefits not only for the county of Madison in central Mississippi, but for the entire state. I'm convinced of that. I also believe that this will, this will rise to the level of being a global story. I think you'll see companies will take note, and they'll want to find out what's Mississippi got going on there that attracted such a large investment from a massive company. And the only reason I'm not revealing it is because the governor did not. 
He, I think, described it as a top 50 company in the world. Uh, but you can read about it on our, um, our website, supertalk.fm. There, Superdog Mississippi News. There you go. That's right. And that's where this is coming from. So they did a great job of uh, describing this uh, to the extent they can right now. So I encourage you to go to our site, read about it. You're going to see a whole lot more news popping on this project as well. Take um, anticipated three to four years of build-out, 1,000 employees. I do not think the governor announced the average pay this morning. Uh, I feel confident that will occur uh, when they get down to the special session to approve the package. It's a completely different-looking sort of uh, suite of incentives, a little different. But um, I think you can expect to see the average pay announced at about 85 k I actually think that will continue to increase as they staff up and add more staff. This is, uh, I'm giddy about it. I can't, I just can't describe it, honestly. I have been busting at the seams on this deal for a while. It's been an honor and a pleasure to just play a tiny role in it, serving on the board and guiding and stewarding uh, this thing through with our executive director and the team at Makita and Mississippi Development Authority, as I said, the governor's office. Guys, this is big news. This is just big, 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 big news. And, what, less than a year ago, we announced a $2.2 billion project in the Golden Tri- Triangle for steel dynamics. So think about that, 2.2, 1.9, 10 a little more than a year? I don't know that you'd find that in our history, that sort of capital investment. I mean, I don't think there are a majority of states that could claim that. I agree. And that's why I'm, I'm so excited at the prospect of other companies taking, taking note, raising their eyebrows. Hmm, what they got going on there in, uh, in Mississippi? So this is totally fantastic. And congratulations to all those who are uh, involved, who've been involved now. Mind you, there's still work to be done. Something of this scale and magnitude uh, always got some loose ends to tie up, but I am more than confident and optimistic that those will be resolved and will be on our way. Unbelievable. Also, in presidential politics, we had another primary, well, actually the first primary, yesterday in New Hampshire, President Donald Trump runs away with it, capturing uh, 54% of the Republican votes in second place. Ambassador Nikki Haley with 43%. And uh, we'll dig into that some more as well on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. A little ZZ Top getting you fired up this morning. We're in the Element Well Studio. David Olson, partner at Ace Scholarships, discussing school choice during school choice week at 11.05. Representative Bill Kincaid at 12.05. Ben from Madison, Mississippi is booming. It's an exciting time for our state. Totally agree, Ben. Um, I'm, I'm giddy, honestly. Also wanted to credit Rhino, the Board of Supervisors, uh, critical role as well, and we're accommodating at every step, I promise. And so working together with the Mass County Economic Development Authority, which is essentially authorized and funded, we get a little tiny piece of millage to fund economic development, and uh, that comes based on their authority, because they're the ones who control the, the taxes, the, the uh, ad valorem taxes that are used to operate the county. So, um, just a team effort all the way around, I promise. The, so, and I, I'm saying that, I, I hope that doesn't come across the wrong way. I just, I'm, I'm wanting everybody to know that th- this is what can happen when you work towards a common goal as a team. It's not one person that can make it happen. It's not one law that can make it happen. It's not one policy. It takes a lot, a lot of ingredients. But it's also another example of a lot of this starts locally. No doubt about it. It's absolutely 100% true. It only, in fact, it can't succeed unless it does. It never materializes unless it emanates from uh, local resources. should also point out that Intergy, Intergy played a pivotal role in uh, bringing this thing to reality and will continue to do so. This is just, uh, everything about this is just positive, uh, good news. No doubt about it. So, uh, VM Squared on the C Spire text line says, by the way, I have uh, long said that Mississippi has an incredible infrastructure for data centers and should make, um, pardon me, market the state as such. Also says, what is the breakdown of the investment of the data centers? I haven't seen that data. Uh, actually, Matt, uh, but when you think about, and, and I know you're in the industry, so you understand this, but this is a situation where there's less money, if you will, in the buildings and more money on what's inside them is usually the, the way that plays out because you're talking about a massive amount of IT infrastructure that's just mind-boggling, uh, honestly. So just huge, 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 huge. Some people, of course, uh, not happy. That would be Thomas and Greenwood. I shouldn't say he's not happy. That may be an unfair characterization, but um, always more focused on the negative than the positive. And so he sent us, predictably, his feelings. He says, when we consider an incentive package in the name of economic development, should we require that all incentives offered to the new company, he says new hot company, have corresponding guts, cuts in government spending? That way existing businesses that aren't special enough to get similar incentives aren't toting the water of the new hot businesses. With corresponding cuts, there is... No extra burden on existing businesses and taxpayers wouldn't requiring corresponding cuts to spending help make incentives at least appear conservative. Everything you've said, Thomas, I disagree with 100%. Because you're assuming that this is a net cost. 
This is a massive net gain. I have seen the 30-year source and use of funds analysis. I can't begin to explain to you how much revenue is going to be generated to the to the taxing authorities that are are eligible here. I just went through it a minute ago. So it's you give a dollar to get a hundred. That works in my book every time. So you're seeing is it an is a net cost? It's not. That's like saying in business, well, I'm going to go spend some money on, on facilities and CapEx and people, but I'm not going to get anything in return for that. I'm just going to just, just burn that money up. Well, it's because he's filtering that? it through the lens of taxation as theft, which it's a free country. You can believe that. But come to reality where taxes are never going away. You're always going to be taxed in some way. So would you rather the government just blow it on nonsense, <laughs> or would you rather them invest it and get a healthy return? Right. So I guess the other thing is that, that uh, first you've got to consider the net here. It's not just all out. It's all out to gain something. If this were just all out because it's a new hot company as described, I'd oppose it. But if this, are, if this is a small amount out to gain a huge amount in, well, any fool knows that that's a good deal. That's, that's just easy. And by the way, remind me not to seek wealth management advice for anybody that <laughs> thinks like that. That's not how you generate wealth. You have to put money to work. And when you put money to work and it produces a net return on investment gain, that's a positive. So that the idea that taxpayers and businesses are footing a bill, there's no bill. You mean taxpayers and businesses will receive this massive net gain in tax revenue? Yeah, I get that. But footing a bill, what bill? They're, they're focused on the initial investment and not thinking about the long-term return. I'd like to think that I could put a dollar to work today somewhere and get five back by close of business today. That's just unrealistic. It's not how it works. It takes a little time. But my gosh, when you look at the amount of revenue that's going to be generated, again, for the, the various uh, districts and entities that receive revenue from the tax base, that this is creating, it's mind-boggling, honestly. Never had anything like that. So now you could, of course, say, hey, look, we can't put this burden on the taxpayers here, in which case the company says, okay, we're going somewhere else. You don't get $10 billion. When are we going to wake up and realize you don't hold the cards when somebody's <laughs> hanging $10 billion out? They got the leverage. That doesn't mean you have to capitulate to everything. And honestly, they don't want that. They understand that's, that's not realistic. They understand it's not in their best interest. Think about what happened in New York with AOC. How dumb was that? Because of the same level of intransigence and the same stupid objections. They said, okay, we'll go somewhere else. It's just unbelievable. And I'm not saying that's what's going on here, I did, but that's an example. 
So uh, I'm ecstatic. I think this is um, more than a worthy investment, shall we say. In fact, it's kind of shocking that the investment's not greater relative to the amount coming in, the amount we will receive. I also have this very, very, very strong opinion that this this ain't the last of it, that this is kind of a down payment on where where this project's going. I'm talking about at $10 billion. And again, I also, I, I can't even figure out, I, I, there's no way to calculate the, the byproduct um, investment that will occur, that will spin off from this, in terms of businesses that will, again, congregate around this hub, which I believe it will become. And it, it will change the complexion for the better of the state of Mississippi. I'm convinced of that. So it's a great day. Appreciate Ben uh, chiming in and saying that. He says, it kind of feels like Madison County is the new Huntsville, Alabama. Look at what they have done in the last 15 years. That's a good point, Ben, and I would invite you to go look at, at uh, the corridor between Austin and San Antonio, Texas. And where that was 20 years ago relative to where it is today, and that was based on a concerted effort on the part of a team of, uh, of individuals and entities across the spectrum, the public sector, the private sector as well, that understood we can't just rely on energy. We're, we have too much reliance on that concentration from an industry in our state. So they made the conscious decision to uh, pursue a diversity in their economy. And they won big time. If you're familiar with that corridor, it uh, may be the, the single largest uh, area that houses data centers and, um, and related businesses in the country. They're not in California, by the way, because of earthquakes. It's a problem. It's a concern. That route, that corridor right there, if you look at the NOAA maps, will show that they're one of the least susceptible areas in the regions in the nation to weather phenomenon and other natural disasters. It's, that's, it's a perfect place for that. I think Mississippi fits into that category to a great extent as well. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studio, 601-879-4395. That's the number to join the conversation on the C Spire text line. So the announcement's out there, and it's getting traction in the media. The governor at 9.30 this morning announced this $10 billion investment in Madison County, Mississippi, the largest economic 
development project, single capital investment from that perspective in the state's history. That, again, on the heels of a $1.9 billion announcement for Marshall County last week and $2.2 billion about a year ago, still dynamics in the Golden Triangle area. So a massive amount of capital is flowing into the Magnolia State in the form of economic development. Companies are seeing something good about the great state of Mississippi, and they're choosing to invest in our borders. This is fabulous. So, uh, let's see here. Thomas also said, every Republican runs on cutting taxes and spending, yet I see the state spending has increased exponentially in the past 15 years. Well, I don't know that every Republican runs on that. I think what they run is on fiscal responsibility. Can you tell me a year where the state has not balanced its budget? And in the last four years, the state has produced a, uh, a handsome surplus. All those, and while cutting taxes. I say that's a win-win. We have one of the lowest tax burdens in the country from a state perspective. We have one of the lowest cost of living levels in the state of the, uh, pardon me, in the country. So I guess, Thomas, what you want is just to, to rescind the teacher pay raises. Are you prepared to face them and say, look, you've got to take less money? And have you thought about what the consequences might be for our education system and the education of our children in the state of Mississippi? So I get what you're saying. It's, it's always kind of cool to say, I'm going to cut spending. But when it comes down to it, what spending are you going to cut, especially given that we just increased the pay of our teachers teachers to get somewhere near the pay of the surrounding states? Because there is a free market aspect of this. You don't pay enough. You don't attract and retain the talent you need to operate. That applies in the public sector as well. So we have shrunk the workforce, the state's workforce, and that's, of course, applying major pressure to PERS, as we've discussed. That's a problem as well. But nonetheless, as long as the state is operating in a fiscally responsible manner and not talking about raising taxes to do that, in fact, talking about lowering taxes, and... Um, and also asserting that that can be done and balance the budget, I would applaud lawmakers in that regard. I think that's good. When you get to the federal level, that's a completely different situation. I, too, get frustrated with so many either running for office at the federal level, for Congress, for the Senate, for President, or those that are already there, they like to spew those talking points. They like to repeat those. Yeah, we just got to cut out this radical spending, but what exactly? And, and when they talk about, yeah, we got to do that so we can start reducing our debt. Well, you can't reduce debt till you, till you balance the budget and you have surplus funds to pay down on the debt. Well, you got $2 trillion you got to cut somewhere. $2 trillion. I've not seen anybody offer a budget 
that is balanced, that, of course, cuts that $2 trillion as needed to make revenues match expenses. That's what a balanced budget is. I've not seen anybody offer that. They'll offer little trimmings, if you will, minor amounts, and call it, call it a victory, but it's less than petty cash you're dealing with in the scheme of things, just from a math perspective. I want to see them get serious about that, but I've not seen anybody offer anything. It's easy to, I guess, attack the other side about that, but just attacking doesn't solve the problem. Please come forward and present a plan that solves the problem. So I couldn't be more proud of the state of Mississippi, uh, again, up and down the state, and uh, securing these huge investments from private companies that see Mississippi as a good place to make such investments. And they didn't get to where they are uh, by being fools. They're pretty smart. They have, of course, a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders, and uh, they didn't achieve their value and their market caps by making bad decisions. That doesn't mean that companies make good decisions every time they make a decision. No, they blow it sometimes, but the uh, companies at this scale are resilient. It knocks them back a little bit, but it doesn't permanently disable them. They respond, they recover, and they uh, regroup and continue to produce value for society. That's what we want. The state flag was a huge symbolic change, says Ben from Madison. Look at what has happened economically since we retired the old flag. It's no coincidence. Well, there's one thing we can say, Rhino, that those who said that changing the flag would not have an impact and always call for those on those who supported the change to, well, show me where that really produced value and economic investment. Can we do that now? Is uh, So in the last year, in a, in a month or so, when you look at the 15-plus billion dollars of investment, can we maybe say that, okay, here you go? Seems like some pretty substantial evidence. Okay. I agree. And look, do we know for a fact that if we had the old fag, it would have prevented these projects from picking Mississippi? We don't know that for a fact, but what we do know is it had been an issue. And to think that it wouldn't be is naive, grossly naive. I know in my term, six years of working in economic development, just in a board capacity, I have seen deals get lost because of it, before we changed it. I've seen that happen. So, it, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's over. It's done with. It ain't coming back. And uh, the good news is we've got massive investments coming into the state, which I believe are going to be transformational and positively impact, as the governor said, thousands and thousands of our fellow Mississippians. I think that's a great way to put it, and I totally believe that. It, it, this is the way to lift up everything. This, will, th- this is the way to improve our household and per capita income. 
uh, to, to scale and grow and expand our economy, to improve education and educational outcomes, and already the news has been great there of late. This is a way to hopefully stem the brain drain and provide opportunity for those that would look outside of our state because there were no such opportunities within it. Man, this is how you do it. If you look at what Texas did over the last 20 years, we're where they were 20 years ago in this regard. And that's what I'm so excited about is where could we be in 20 years? If we're where they are, man. And did I tell you when Senator Daniel Sparks described the Marshall County project as a one, $1.9 billion as a grand slam, remember I said, well, if that's a grand slam, this one we're about to dump is like winning the World Series 10 years in a row. And that's the case. Both are fantastic for the state, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I was just, uh, I was just oozing to, to say more, but now it's in the news, and it's uh, official. So our, our special session will get underway tomorrow. Our legislators will take up the incentive package and approve this deal. And off to the races we go, man. This is just fantastic. Just great. Unbelievable. Something that Mary in Greenwood said on the ceasefire text line, Gerard, I've never heard this solution mentioned from either party, but they all say we need the migrants to pick the fruit. Uh, I think it's, uh, oh, heck, what's that guy up there? And Adam, what the heck's his name? His name escapes me. The Schiff? No, heck, it's not Adam. Gosh, dog, it's the New York rep that used to be larger in size than he is now, lost a bunch of weight. Nadler? Nah, Jerry Nadler. He's made some crazy comment like that. we got to have the migrants crossing the border so they can pick the fruit. Mary goes on to say, we have hundreds of thousands of people on welfare that could do that. No work, no welfare. I'll actually share a thought on that, Mary. I appreciate your point. It's a good one when we come back. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. The Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin there. So back to Marion Greenwood's comment about we got all these people on the sidelines not working. Why can't they do these jobs? I agree. First, there's no work requirements. Uh, it's, just, it's a difficult deal. Um, secondly, Mary, you know what I support that's not popular? Elimination of the minimum wage. Because a lot of Companies that hire these people, I'm sad to say that people being illegals, they're working for under minimum wage. You know that. I mean, it's as much as um, our law enforcement tries to seek out these situations where companies are hiring illegals, typically they're paying them less than minimum wage and not also not paying all the other uh, taxes on employers associated with wages. So get rid of the minimum wage. 
and let them hire the people who were on the sidelines, drawing welfare benefits, to pay them what the market will bear. We're going in the opposite direction, with so many states increasing the minimum wage. Mississippi is one of the few that still adheres to the federal minimum wage. What's that, seven and a quarter, I think, right now? But I've always thought that. But, you know, as long as there are limited or, or even difficult, honestly, to, to control, uh, difficult to, to police work requirements for various benefits, it's a problem. And I don't understand, again, even with the benefits they receive, unless they're shacking up with seven, eight, nine, ten people, I don't see how that's any level of quality of life. It's not that much at the end of the day when you when you just layer on and um, combine all the various benefits. It's just amazing to me that that's the most anybody aspires to. I don't get it. When you've got wonderful opportunities, abundant opportunities to lift yourself up, it's, it's a cultural issue. It's not an economic one, and we should be investigating that, finding out how do we motivate people. we got jobs over here for you. Come off the sidelines. Produce value. Feel the, the dignity of work and get paid. I think that's just a whole bigger issue, but I appreciate the comment, uh, Mary, my thoughts on it, for what that's worth. Uh, in in Vina, in Viva, <clears throat> Tate Reeves and Roger Wicker push in Viva, and now it's not looking good. What am I missing there? That's K Dog and Wiggins. Is that what you meant to say, K Dog? I'm not familiar. Could you have our Mississippi representatives on discussing a bill to buy back time for federal employees? This is a very important bill to a lot of us who have 20 years or more that we can't use towards our retirement, postal employees especially. I need, I need more info. I don't, I don't know what that is exactly. If, oh, you're talking about buying back time for your pension maybe? Federal pension, the federal benefit? Maybe that's what it's talking about there. Gerard, $10 billion, a tidy sum from Corinth. That's the way it was written. Johnny in West Point, absolutely nothing wrong with spending as long as you can have a good ROI. And let's, and let's um, I agree, Johnny, but let's be even a little bit more granular. Nothing wrong with investing. It's a return on investment. And I'm, I'm not picking hairs here, but I, I know what you're saying, but <clears throat> investing. And that's what this is. This is an investment. If this were just, hey, here's some money because you're good guys, right, that's just spending and wasteful at that. But when you're investing and you're being guaranteed a return on that investment, and if that's not achieved, you claw back, I just don't have a problem with that. I can't, I can't understand anyone objecting to that. I know this. If you don't play... If you don't play, you get zero. That's the way it works. And until we recognize that and and get in the real world and accept reality. But good news is, folks in charge get that. And they continue to to press forward pursuing great opportunities such as this. And and this is just a big, big deal that... um, is going to benefit our state tremendously. Our state has been last in so many areas on the ceasefire text line for so long when we start winning, some people can't handle it.
I am proud of the strides we are making. That's Tommy from Lake. You know, Rhino, there's some truth in that. You know that. Federal level, too. We don't want you to succeed. We'd rather just mire in, in dejection and negativity and, and be permanently aggrieved. We actually thrive on that. This way we can just attack you and frame you as just evil and wicked. We don't want you to do something good. It's sadly true. Sadly true. Especially if the folks winning are their political foes. They can't accept that. It's a good point there uh, from Tommy from Lake. Well, it's time for a break. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. David Olson, president of ACE Scholarships, is next in the Element Well studio. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone you are tuned in to middays we are in the element well studio on this hump day we welcome to the program now david olson the president of ace scholarships david good to see you thanks for coming in hey thanks for having me you guys are great love your show listen to you all the time appreciate that david really do so it's school choice week School National choice School Choice Week. It really is, yeah. And we're busy down at the Capitol and uh, just telling our story. Yeah. So we've we've made some strides in Mississippi with respect to education uh, savings accounts. We've got the Dyslexia Scholarship. We've got the Special Needs uh, Scholarship as well. We've got charter schools. But we're not to the level of a Florida or an Arizona with respect to universal school choice and education freedom where a parent could select the setting they think is best suited for their student and uh, the money that would be appropriated by the legislature to the public school to which they are attached would follow them to the setting of choice. Could be micro school, home school, charter school, that's right, a private school, all the above, parochial schools. So we're trying to get something along those lines done here in Mississippi. I know you've done a lot of work on, on that. So tell us about the ACE scholarship and how that fits into all this. Sure. Well, ACE Scholarships is a program that's been around, started in Denver about 24 years ago, and we just launched in Mississippi. It's a scholarship program where we provide partial scholarships for lower income families so they've got access to good schools. You know, basically, you know, middle income, high income people, if they want good schools for the kids, they move. Okay. But, you know, lower income people are locked into a zip code. Right. If the school's failing, they not can't. Not as mobile. Move. They're yeah. not as mobile. You got it right. And so what we do is come alongside those parents. It's all needs based, it's qualified based on their income. And we give them an opportunity and a partial scholarship to go to a school of their choice that might be a better fit for their kid. And so what's a better fit? Um, you know, it could be that maybe there's, uh, you know, incident of bullying, maybe there is a special need that they have. Um, but it also could be that, you know, they want to go to a school that more aligns with their values. Yeah. It could be a, a Christian-based school. And so we work with the parents. We work with the school. We provide uh, about a third 
of the, the uh, funds to go to that. The school typically will write down some, and then the parents contribute the rest. So everyone's got skin in the game. And it's pretty remarkable in Mississippi, you know, we've been operating for a year, we've got 350 students, scholars, on uh, scholarship in 39 schools around the state. It's been a wonderful program this first year. We're growing like crazy. Um, and I can give you this data, you know, it's, it's, we've got the average family in a scholarships, family of four, their income is 42,000 and some change. And okay. yet they're willing to contribute up over $2,500 per student. So when you think about a family of four making $43,000, they got to pay taxes, they yeah. get their car note, their house note, and yet they're willing to invest in their child. It just harkens back to the days when the immigrants came, you know, they gave everything they could to make sure their children succeeded, and that's what we're trying to do, help with that program. Okay. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Um, so what are you hearing at the Capitol? Are you hearing anything? Is there you, you feel like there's an appetite to keep uh, pushing this ball down the field with respect to education choice and freedom? Yeah, I really hope so. You know, you just talked about ROI. Yeah. And, you know, you want to return on your investment. Let's invest in the children, not the system, right? Not the unions. Yeah. Let's give the money to the kid. Let's have the, the funds follow the child so they can go to the school where they want to go. There's a lot of research out there showing that the 13 states that have these education savings accounts um, work mm-hmm. and work very well. And so I, I'm really hopeful. Until we have, I mean, we really do have the ESA, the special needs ESA. We yeah. have it here. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, it's a great program. It's a little difficult to work through, right? But it's it's nice, and so why don't we expand that? It's kind of the natural choice. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we're we're working on that until we have it. Ace is here to come alongside parents and help work okay. that. But I'd love to see that uh, program expand. I've heard our lieutenant governor, in fact, uh, in this studio a couple of weeks ago with Mr. Gallo, said, "Gee, we already have school choice." He he just didn't seem to be. I guess, too interested in pursuing uh, additional school choice options and programs. Right. So, you know, so, you know he, I, I read um, in the Magnolia uh, Tribune. Tribune that mm-hmm. uh, you know, his focus is education, and he's really all in on community college. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, you know he's, he's a very smart man, uh, a, a good guy. Mm-hmm. He knows that you've got to have a, a good base of education to get into a community college, you know. Our community colleges are great here. My daughter just graduated from one. And so you've got to have a great education to get to a community college. So I know that, you know, he's got to believe that education is important and it's got to be K through 12. Sure. Um, You know, I also know that, you know, we use these canards like, well, it's unconstitutional. That's a talking point. Okay. He's used that. He's used that. And so now that that's kind of, you know, been proven wrong, the next thing is, well, it's too expensive. It's cost. Um, and I think the the more legislators that I talk to that just listen to that talking point, when you have a meaningful conversation, you can describe and, and explain that that really isn't the case. In fact, there's a lot of research out there, um, not only on education outcomes for ESAs, but also um, tax savings. Right. The Friedman Foundation has put out a lot. And so, you know, basically they studied 28 um, – schools and with ESAs and and basically in those areas 25 were um, you know where they had tax savings yeah. for that community yeah. 
Um, the other three were, were revenue neutral, so there wasn't a cost. Right. And if we're going to spend money, let's spend it on the students. There's just, as you well know, there's, there's lots of um, misinformation. There really is, yeah. Um, a lot, lot of fear and concern, and, and uh, that often gets communicated by school choice opponents mm-hmm. uh, to the public, to the people, and it, it it's it's kind of starts out and then it evolves into a fishing tale to where, where'd you come up with that from? That's yeah. No, that's not how this works. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've heard uh, people have this uh, perception that the state would just literally send checks to directly to homes for, for those who have these uh, savings accounts, scholarships. Uh, state money, and then they just spend it on whatever they want, and that's not true. It's not. That's right. not how it's yeah. ever been implemented in any other state, to my knowledge. And I've, no, I've reviewed them. It so. has, yeah. So you know, I mean, yeah. there's 13 states that that have these. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas. There accounts. Arkansas is the most recent. Utah's got a great one. Yeah. Arizona has a wonderful universal yeah, program. Sure do. And there is accountability. And yeah. so you know, it's the devil's in the detail, like anything else. Yeah. You know, we we draft all this policy. And there's certainly area to, to uh, figure out how to achieve the outcomes we want with a program that works for everybody. And then another concern is, well, you're just going to have an exodus from the poor-performing schools, and they're, they're going to saturate and overwhelm the, the uh, high-performing schools, especially if they're close uh, in proximity. And uh, there, there are guardrails, as you know, in, sure. in all the states. That uh, In Florida, there's, it's a capacity test, essentially. And certainly we could agree on what's a reasonable capacity for any school, and you just can't exceed that. So. That's right. And the schools, the, the private schools, have their own requirements yeah. for entrance. and we're not looking to change that or you got to compel them to adhere to some admission standards just because the, the students' uh, education, their tuition is being funded. Uh, in that way, nobody's looking to do that. Yeah, so you know, I'm a free markets guy. I, I like to get coffee. I go into a coffee shop. I got a couple bucks in my pocket. I want their beans and water. They got beans and water. They want my money. Yeah. And and if they've got a good product, and I'm a good guy, and they're a good guy, you know, we exchange. It's thank you, thank you. Um, if they don't, I can go somewhere else. Right. And we can do that with doctors and pretty much everything else we have, except for schools. Right. And it's kind of interesting that. Really, one of the most important things, one of the most fundamental things for success, we can't choose. We've got to go where our zip code is dictated, unless you've got the mobility to, to send your kid to a private school. Yeah, and I think so many look at it as uh, almost a, a, a polar situation where, okay, you're going to help one entity and hurt another. There's no, there's no goal. Or, it's not or, a zero-sum game. Exactly. It's yeah. not. And there's a lot of research out there showing that when you know you provide choice and you enter some competition, that the public schools get better too. Yeah, and that's the goal. Yeah, I mean, in fact, let's be honest. The goal is to is to improve the quality of education universally right. for every student. That's the goal. And and we're not saying that public school isn't the way to achieve that. You got that's, it. that's not what this is about. Yeah. It's just that different people just perform differently and d- based on the setting. It's no different than picking a job that you can excel at. It's that's the right. same sort of deal. You find the environment that allows you to reach your fullest potential. That's all we're trying to do here. You got it. 
Well, Dave, I appreciate your efforts on this. Uh, as you know, I'm a proponent of this as well. I think it's a great thing for the state of Mississippi. We, we've kind of scratched the surface, and we've got some things done, but we got more to do. So, David Olson, everyone, uh, president of Ace Scholarships, appreciate you coming in. Thank hey, you, man. Hey, thanks for your leadership. Thank you, man. Right. We're coming right back, folks. I think we got Representative Bill Kincaid coming in, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Rhino? That's correct. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio. That keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Little Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie. All right, Rhino, we got some weather going on in South Mississippi. Yeah, there's actually a tornado warning that has been issued by the National Weather Service. They have uh, radar-indicated rotation, and it is going to impact Tylertown and Salem. So if you're in the Walthall area around Tylertown or Salem, you want to take cover now. Mm. That means you want to move to the interior of your home or a basement if you've got one on the lowest floor. Try to get into a broom without any windows to avoid any flying debris. But yes, there is a tornado warning as of just a couple minutes ago, moving northeast at 40 miles per hour. The indication was 16 miles west of Columbia, and the expected impact will be Tylertown and Salem. So take cover now. Got you. All right, folks, you heard it. Uh, weather moving through the area as expected. I wasn't sure we were going to see it. At the severe level, such as tornadoes, I don't know that that was expected. Just flooding is what I heard, mostly. But, okay, take cover. We re- uh, Welcome to the program now, Representative Bill Kincaid. He serves in the Mississippi House of Representatives at, uh, in District 22. It's your, Good morning. Your district. All right, uh, Bill, appreciate you coming in, man. Good morning. Good morning to the listeners. All right, so we have had some big news the last week, right, in, in a very compressed period of time with the announcement of... Uh, nearly $12 billion of capital investment, a $1.9 billion project uh, uh, announced last week uh, up in your neck of the woods there, Marshall what, County, it, it so, County. Last week was so exciting. You know, we had the largest, uh, at that time, uh, economic development that in our area and certainly the largest payroll economic development in the state. Yep. And it was so exciting, and I can't thank enough people. Um, obviously, there were so many people involved. But uh, it, it means a tremendous amount of growth to our state. And then this week we have another exciting announcement. So I can simply say we live in the right state. Yeah. We have uh, the right people doing the right job. And Governor Reeves, I give him all the credit in the world. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he made this clear, as you recall. I've talked about it many times on the show, on the campaign trail in 2019. He said, I, I, I not only want to make Mississippi a good place to do business, I want to make it the best. And he uh, is hyper-focused on that, and I, I applaud him for that. 
I was on the steps of the uh, second floor last Thursday, and I happened to look at the crowd and saw you, and you were bubbling. <laughs> oh, I was, well, for two reasons. One is I was so excited about that announcement. Right. Two is I knew we were about to have right, another one right. on on the heels, and it's just it's just in such a short period of time, you you rarely get that level of good news, which it, is it's what it wonderful is. Wonderful to be in Mississippi, no doubt about it. And I think we're showing the world that, and and you know what else? We're showing the world that we can compete on a global scale because these projects are global uh, in nature. They're at that level. And more to follow. More to follow, absolutely. And we have uh, great folks, uh, especially our local economic development leaders. As you know, you've got fantastic team right, there in right. Marshall County that worked this thing masterfully, as uh, did the team in Madison County. So that's kind of taken all the, uh, the air out of the room down there at the legislature, as they say, in the last week or so, but for a good reason. Well, again, it's good for the region. It's not simply good for the county. That's it's right. good for the region. And so and, and that's, I try to express that to you know, all my neighboring districts and, and their representatives and senators that you know, this is good for the region. This yeah. is going to help all of us grow uh, immensely. And so, you know, it's going to attract more industry and more jobs, and I just couldn't be prouder of the situation we're in. No doubt about it. Um, and I do, I do also believe that it illustrates how when you cut the red tape and, and you create an environment that is easy for business to work with, that uh, good things happen. And I think we've done that here in Mississippi. You know, our Secretary of State, Michael Watson, has, has done a lot of work in that as well, as has our legislature. Absolutely. And, and, you know, something else that I think uh, we got to point out is that having a balanced budget and having the state in such good financial condition, it, it does, I believe, enter into these decisions made by these major companies making these major investments that, hey, this is, state, this is a state that's, uh, uh, that's managed well. And and so the, the the legislature's done that. I've seen this evolution. I came on board in 2013, and I've seen this worm turn, as it were, and I've seen our, our, our balanced budget and seen good conservative politics, uh, good conservative policy. Um, this all got us to that point. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it's not overnight, and it's not it's not painless, but it's it's a culmination of a lot of hard work for a lot a lot of good people for a long time. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to have a regular session today. We were just talking about. <laughs> we that. are. We are. We gavel in at two o'clock today. <laughs> okay, and we're going to be uh, try to be as harmless as possible. <laughs> and then tomorrow we'll have a special. Right. So that's exciting. Okay. All right. So uh, what you told me, you just had your first committee meeting. With all that said, I did manage to get a, a wildlife, fisheries, and parks uh, committee meeting. My initial meeting in, in today. Okay. And it's basically an organizational meeting. Uh, yeah. You know, this year my committee has grown from 15 to 21, and I presume that is because there's so much interest in wildlife. Okay, rightfully so. Um, you know, in the last four years, I've been chairman, and I've seen a, a lot of growth in the uh, in that area. I'm really, really proud of what the agency's done and the good people that are on board. I've seen our state parks go from virtually no growth. To today, I proudly can tell you that we have over 62 million dollars in working projects in state parks. Wow. So I can I see a lot of growth and a lot of future success there. Uh, we want to work on um, 2024 issues moving forward. Mississippi is so vital and uh, and so flush in our in our wildlife opportunities, and we want to continue that opportunity for others. So with that, we look at uh, obviously our wild turkey population and how we can enhance that. Uh, we look at our white-tailed deer and where we're, where we're at with that. 
Um, and then we just, you know, obviously we look at some of the reporting aspects. Um, for instance, I looked at Florida's turkey stamp. Uh, I looked at Missouri's turkey stamp. Um, and it occurs to me that Mississippi does not have a turkey stamp. And so that turkey stamp could be used to increase our, uh, in our habitat, to improve our habitat, to control burning through predator control. And that's something I'd like to see happen in our state. Um, you know, it all gets down to data. And if you don't have the correct data, it's hard to make correct policy. Sure. So a lot of this data collection through stamp uh, sales, through uh, harvest collection, is simply for data. And so that's how you make sound scientific policy. Okay. Well, so is there anything uh, specific, uh, Representative Kincaid, that you think your committee's going to take up, try to get to the floor? Any any bills you're working on there? Well, certainly. We're working on, again, a, uh, a wild turkey stamp. Well, besides that, yeah, um, I'm sorry. And then we're working on a harvest reporting bill for okay. uh, for whitetail. Okay. Uh, and, again, it'll be a, it won't be a physical tag. It'll be just a game check, uh, online game check uh, format that we already have in place. And that's simply so that we can start collecting um, data. That okay. is cl- climate data, um, you know, drought data how the climate is affecting the deer population and what we need to do to adjust uh, limits, to enhance limits, to protect it, uh, and to enhance it. Obviously, it's about increasing the opportunity. And CWD has been a concern still as well, there, right? Still there, still yeah. you know, there. Obviously, I think we have a pretty good control of it right now, but it still rears its head from time to time. You know, we had one on the coast that, out of the blue. Um, but in North Mississippi, we're, we're not growing, but it's still there. Okay. What about uh, on the parks side? You got anything going on there? It's really exciting. Uh, Paul B. is under a immense uh, restoration. Uh, we've got it limited down to day use, and it will be for about a year, but we're putting in new sidewalks, new plumbing, new electrical grid, uh, really enhancing that lake. It's one of our premier um, state parks. It's beautiful. Tishomingo is certainly something that we've worked very hard on. It's enhanced and new new pads, new um, just a new facelift. It looks marvelous. Yeah. Obviously, Buccaneers are a shining star, and it's it's never been looked better. So uh, we got 23 state parks that we're continually working on, as well as I've identified some state lakes that we're going to start working on. Okay. What about uh, other committee assignments for you? What else are you on uh, that that you've got some stuff going on there? I, I'm assuming that some of those committee chairmen have also had their organizational meetings. Well, proudly, I've said uh, every year I've been in the legislature, I've been on agriculture and forestry, um, and I'm very proud to sit on those because, obviously, with through wildlife, they're all very, very much related. Yeah. Um, I have energy this year, so I'm excited about our new chairman, Mr. Jeff Hale, yep. um, leading that charge in energy. Um, I did pick up gaming this year, which is new for me, um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, and then I, I've added public properties to my okay. resume, so uh, we have a full slate of work. Okay. Yeah, you do. If you can ha- hang around, uh, got got a couple of specific questions on some policy matters that uh, we can chat about. We've got Representative Bill Kincaid. He's from DeSoto and Marshall Counties, a chair of the House Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Committee. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Turn the page.
everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. I like to see that guitar get getting uh, being demolished at the end of the song. <laughs> You're dating yourself. I know it. I know it. Uh, we are back in the Element Well Studio. We're visiting with Representative Bill Kincaid. So, right, so during the break, you were telling me something you were excited about. Uh, pass that on to the audience there. Well, one of the uh, one of the critical bills I think in wildlife that was passed three years ago was the uh, Mississippi Stewardship Trust Fund, um, which really was a vehicle that gave us the opportunity to uh, have a pool of money that we could grant uh, opportunities for conservation needs in the state. We never had an opportunity to do that before. Now, granted, we proposed this as a sales tax diversion, so we'd have a renewable funding mechanism. Um, we couldn't get that across the finish line. Proposed again once again last year, and obviously it'll be back again this year. Now, year one and 22, we got a $10 million appropriation, and I'm thankful for that. And we got the program off the ground, and we got 21 projects awarded, and they were meaningful awards Um, last year. Currently, we're working on uh, a $15 million budget uh, through an appropriation, and they're considering those projects right now. And so this next year, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to get twenty million dollar appropriation, which was the cap on the sales tax diversion. Was it would cap at twenty million? Okay, I got you. So, but nevertheless, this program has been uh, been been a very big help to these uh, organizations, municipalities, these uh, conservative conservation programs that didn't have an ability to raise any resource and and match that federal farm money to do projects in their community. And those are, you know, anywhere from headwater controls to uh, just conservation needs. Uh, it could be municipal state parks. It could be a myriad of projects. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good deal to me. Um, what about uh, rumors I'm hearing on another subject here about the, the ballot initiative process? I'm hearing rumors about uh, possibly a bill being filed on that. Well, I did hear that rumor in myself. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> you know, it's certainly uh, an agenda item that I think got to be addressed okay. uh, this session. Um, not exactly sure what the dynamics of that will be or the mechanics of that will be yet. Um, I heard uh, Senator Parker in the Senate is heading it up with yeah. AET. Yep. Um, and uh, in the House, I'm sure we have um, I think it's uh, Representative Shanks is working on it. Price Wallace. Uh, Price Wallace. He's got the uh, so, Constitution, I think. And so we're, we're uh, I'm sure we'll come to resolve. Yeah. But, you know, my uh, my constituents have told me and have indicated that they want to see that back in place. And I think it's an important tool for the uh, for the voter. Okay. Well, uh, I hear it quite a bit on, on our text line here and just kind of uh, just randomly out in the public, I guess, and seems to be a uh, strong desire to restore that. Right, uh, that right that actually exists in our constitution. So it seemed to me like we right. we got to do something to fix that. That uh, we would be in violation of the constitution at some point. So I, I think we've all prioritized that as a must. Okay, do. okay. Well, it's a matter of getting those details sorted out, as you know, and especially if we're going to 
limit it to a statute and, and not use the process to amend the Constitution, which I think there's broad agreement on that. As you well know, we, we approached the Senate last year with a plan, and yeah. it just it didn't grow any legs. Um, we simply couldn't agree yeah. on the number. Yeah. And so I feel like this year we'll be closer. Uh, hopefully we'll agree. Yeah. Okay. We'll see where that goes. Uh, something else that, uh, as you well know, the governor has, has – uh, declared numerous times as a top priority for him, and that's full elimination of the income tax. We got uh, some uh, progress there by eliminating the 4% bracket and then phasing uh, down the 5% bracket down to 4% over three years, but he still has the goal of full elimination. You think that might we might see a bill to do that? Well, Gilbert, I will tell you that living in a border community mm-hmm. – and, uh, and by the way, in that economic development project that we worked on uh, in Marshall County, uh, that's such a, uh, a critical um, byproduct, and we're 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 judged by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax, and so that's one of the points of contention every time we talk about or try to recruit another uh, economic development sure. opportunity. So we're going to have to get to that point now sooner than later. Um, will there be a bill to that effect? I, I think the House's uh, contention is that we're going to continue to carve that down reasonably, responsibly, and uh, and we've got a plan. Okay. Okay. Well, and, and we had before that we got through the House, but uh, couldn't get it through the Senate. Well, there again, there are two ends of that building. Yeah, that's right. There are. Before, before it gets um, right. to the governor's office in the middle there, we that's got right. got to get it across both ends. Okay, well, um, those are important. You know, something that you know I've talked about privately, I, I know you've probably heard me discuss it on the program and may have um, taken a little time to read the piece I wrote, is PERS, which is uh, finally starting to get, I think, some mindset uh, from members on both sides of the building, as we say. Uh, I know uh, PERS execs have, have been over at the Capitol talking to legislators about kind of where they are and what it might take, but that's something we got to take up here. You know, I've heard so many people in the offseason say, just don't let the legislature get a hold of PERS. Yeah. But, you know, the legislature is the only one that can fix that's PERS. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I've heard some really logical um, repairs to this. Okay. None of it's going to be easy. I, I, I heard Speaker Gunn. Excuse me, Speaker White, uh, in his analogy, really made good sense in how to approach this, and so I I believe there's a plan in place if we can get some cooperation. Okay. Um, and obviously it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for everybody. Yeah. But we're all in this together. Yeah. I mean, PERS, just as like everybody else, we it's got to succeed. Yeah. If not, then there's going to be a uh, not a good resolve. Well, it's uh, as I have described it, it's virtually impossible to address this issue and resolve it without some pain somewhere. We don't have legislative oversight. Right. And so until we do, then, you know, it's very difficult to manage this. Yeah. So, but again, Speaker White has made the most sense in his breakdown of how to solve that. Um, both uh, Representative Lamar and uh, Speaker White, I've, I've talked to extensively about it. Okay. And I believe there's. Uh, common sense approach to this. Okay. Uh, is there anything you can share with us today? Or are you still... Well, I'm, it's still in the mechanics, so okay. I, I choose to let them break that news okay. to you. Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, I mean, I, I'm certainly aware of what uh, the, the PERS folks have been asking for. Right. Um, the executive director in particular has been 
been serving as the chief contact for uh, purse positions, and of course you got actuaries involved in that mix as well. But okay, but we'll Stri- strictly account cash inf- influx is not the answer, right? That, not not the that. Uh, not the total permanent answer, but right. it, uh, it likely to be required to some extent to for some, some extent. period of time, right? With with some other aggressive moves. That's right. So, okay. Well, we'll see with that. And then uh, something else that's going on that uh, you know is going to garner a lot of discussion is just health care. Always is. Always is. And where we go there. You know, there, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, we, we come to this session with school choice being an issue. Yep. PERS, uh, public health. Uh, these are these are critical issues that the legislature needs, must address. Yeah. And we've all done our homework and have some... Um, expectation of some resolve. So we're all working on that diligently. And I'm glad okay. to see that the committees have finally released. We finally got bills dropping. Yeah. And now we can get down to the due diligence of actually debating these issues. Okay. Well, school choice. We just had David Olson on right. the program, right. the school choice week. Um, you know, I think that's another one of those situations that has been uh, received a little more favorably in the House than in the Senate, although I never really felt like Speaker Gunn was a big fan of universal school choice. Philosophically, I'm in favor of it. Yeah. There's still some questions about, um, you know, how it breaks down. How to implement it. But, but again, I was there in 2014 when the charter school thing yep. was such a, uh, an issue, and, and obviously we were, I was in favor of it, and just look how it worked out. Yeah. So uh, I've encouraged everybody to keep an open mind. And uh, we're going to work through this. Okay. Uh, it, it's critical, is it not, Representative Kincaid, that leadership in both chambers work together? Absolutely. And um, I, I'm hoping that will be the case with uh, in this term and certainly in this session, first of the term. Uh, but, you know, there, there's been some contention in the past, I think, is a way to describe it, and, and been a little conflict. That I, you understate that. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm trying to be uh, more diplomatic here. So, In my tenure, I've always tried to consider myself a bridge builder. Okay. Um, not so that I can cross the bridge, so that others can cross behind me. Yeah. And so I agree. We have to be uh, – we have to pay attention to the people that are following us, not watching us, not how we do it, but how they get there. Yeah. And so we've, we've got to continue to build bridges between, yeah. between these two bodies and set the example. I agree. I'm optimistic. I am and, absolutely um, optimistic. I always look forward to chatting with you down at the Capitol there, and we appreciate your service. And, the, you know, most importantly, let's not forget these two big economic development project announcements are monumental for the state of Mississippi. And we're waiting on the next. We're not, that's exactly right. right. Waiting on the next. Be an optimist. Yes, sir. Okay. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thank sir. You. Uh-huh. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Super Talk Mississippi.
this who day or what? <laughs> Had several of them that were going to go off the the computer if I didn't get them played sometimes. <laughs> I figured you. I'd load them up. Okay. Oh, I'm digging it. You know, I like the who. Oh, yeah. The great Pete Townshend and Roger Daltrey. There was another one in the hopper that, that might get deleted. I might just go in and, and manually change it instead of playing it on the air. <laughs> Although it is Wednesday, we could bring back a smidge of Wednesday's worst because... Uh, <laughs> The one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater might get deleted from the computer if I don't play it soon. Please, please, spare me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't play that or that stupid, what is it, men without hats or whatever. Safety dance. Safety dance. (laughs) On the ceasefire text line, Dave from Monticello asks a question about school choice. In your school choice scenario about capacity, you talk about capacity, obviously. So if a school is taking students from school B and the school reaches its capacity, but there's a student at school B that still wants to go to school there, they can't go. So is that truly school choice? Well, you know, you can't, you can't hold it as just perfection that everybody has exactly perfectly what they want. They're just, the reality is there are physical, practical limitations. Now, if, and these things, they, they, uh, they work over a period of time. I've seen situations where, or, or an idea would be that has been applied, you have some sort of lottery and, and just a, a random selection. If you have a scenario where there's more demand, more folks seeking to transfer to a school uh, than they can accommodate based on capacity. Now, maybe it's such that that school, since the money's following the child, that district figures out a way to expand capacity. Just well, I mean, that issue could be resolved with literally one line in the bill that says no student shall be displaced by an incoming student. Yeah, of, yeah, exactly. No, stu- no student living within the district of, of a school district may be displaced by an incoming student. But I, I understood what Dave to be saying here is that, okay, if you had more students seeking to transfer to a specific school that they could accommodate based on capacity limitations, some are going to get left out because they just can't take any more. Oh, the way I read it was, all right, you have people choosing to go to school A, and then a student doesn't register until late for school A, and they're in school A's district, they wouldn't have any room. Okay. Gotcha. Which, in that case, if you put a line in the bill that says yeah. they can't be displaced, you'd have schools, and like, all right, we got, we're got, we at the limit, but you still have, like, five seats left, just in case. That'd work. But, but that'd be up to the school district. I, I can tell you this. The, uh, this public-to-public type transfer exists in, in Florida. Um, in Arizona, th- those are the two that probably have the most robust programs. And and in all the reading I've done on their programs, I've not seen this be a problem. I've not seen this. I know they have these capacity provisions, but I've not seen it be a problem where somebody's getting left out because they were unable to transfer or being displaced. To your point, so um, I I get it and I understand the concern, but it's it's something else that. It takes time to sort through the issues. It's just as you heard Representative Kincaid say, it was 2014 when we got the uh, charter school bill passed, and then subsequent to that, the savings accounts for special needs and dyslexia. Um, And that's 10 years ago. 
So, again, what we're trying to do is keep chipping away at this to, uh, to really create the optimum environment. And uh, I'd like to see us implement something similar to what Florida and Arizona did, and, that, and that's where we're headed. Now, whether or not there's an appetite to go that far in our legislature, I don't know. I feel like that what we're likely to see is something that would allow public to private, that that would likely get some support sufficient to pass it, and that simply means that the money from the state, or maybe it's not 100% of it, I think in Arkansas, for example, it's 90%. But if, if a student desires to transfer and attend a private school that's presently enrolled in public school, they could apply for an ESA, and the money that's going to their public school from the state, either, either all or some of it, would be available as a voucher, if you will, to pay for their tuition to a private school. Now, that voucher is the amount that's going to the public school that is made available to the student, again, either some or all of just the state's portion, not the local portion that, that funds schools in Mississippi. And that may or may not be sufficient to fund the full cost of tuition. If it's not, then they have to come up with the additional funds out of pocket to pay the tuition. It's not like, okay, the state's just going to pay the full cost of tuition because you want to go to private school. That, that is not the way in other states it's been implemented. I wouldn't support that in Mississippi either. But we are going to step aside for Fox News and Super Talk News because it is noon, high noon in Mississippi. We're coming right back with an hour of midday, so please stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays is with you now. We are in the Element Well studio on this hump day. All right, so we've been having fun uh, talking about this big old economic development project coming to Madison County, the second multi-billion dollar project in as many weeks. That is just uh, historical, as they say, for the great state of Mississippi. And uh, I couldn't be feeling better about our prospects for the future. Last night... On the national scene, it was President Donald Trump defeating Ambassador Nikki Haley by some 11 points, 54 to 43 in round numbers, percent of the vote. Even though not on the ballot, you notice that the other candidates still received some votes. Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, all got a vote or two. I don't really get that unless it's the so-called protest votes. Isn't that the way it works, I guess? But I think there was a bigger push for protest votes on the Democrat side because you had a whole lot of social media hubbub the last 48 hours about write-in ceasefire. Yeah, I heard that, but it, it did not go anywhere. No. <laughs> ceasefire. Uh, 
Yeah, so it looks like, honestly, that the president, the former president, is, is going to be the nominee. By the way, I'm just looking here on the screen, polls last week that feature a head-to-head match of former President Donald Trump, President Joe Biden, and Ambassador Nikki Haley and President Joe Biden. You see the contrast there, the who who appears to be the the ultimate nominee on the Republican side, that being the former president, how he goes head-to-head against the current president, and then who is in second place, essentially, in the Republican field, which is pretty much down to those two at this point. Nonetheless, the poll shows, in a head-to-head matchup, that uh, the former president would defeat the current president 50 to 48. Of course, that leaves a couple of points undecided, or maybe voting for someone else. And then the other, in the other matchup, it uh, its results show Ambassador Nikki Haley 53, 53 uh, to 40. Uh, I think it was 46, if I'm not mistaken, which showed some. Uh, undecided. So, point is, it's amazing that in a head-to-head match, Ambassador Haley fares better than the former president. Just, just intriguing, interesting. I don't, I don't know that I have any opinion on it at this point. I just found that uh, rather interesting, and I'm not sure why. But you know what? The most meaningful polls in a presidential election, as we've discussed numerous times, are those in the swing states, and in particular, in those counties that really determine the outcome of a presidential election, and in those counties, a dozen to 15 of them or so, in those four critical uh, swing states. So we shall see where all that goes, but at this point, You'd have to say it's going to be a repeat, a redo of 2020 with President Joe Biden trying to keep his place in the White House there against the former president, Donald Trump. That's kind of the way it's shaking out. The uh, former president, of course, his victory speech last night featured Senator Tim Scott, who has provided a full-throated endorsement, and also... His former opponent, Vivek Ramaswamy, were there with him on the stage last night. He was highly critical of the ambassador because he said that her speech sounded like a victory speech, and he said she didn't win. He also said something that, I don't know if it was necessary, but said something about her dress as well. Oh, gosh. But And I would say that I, I listened to the speeches from both. I, I agree with the former president that it, it did appear that, that uh, Nikki Haley's speech was almost like a, a full victory speech, and his pointing out you didn't win. But I think she was it, – it appeared at least she was pleased with the outcome. Maybe she was surprised that she got almost into single digits – terms of the Delta, uh, whereas if you think about it, all the polls were showing that she was down 20-plus points 
going into the uh, the election day, it, it was Ron DeSantis who lost by 30 points coming in second in Iowa to the former president. So maybe she was just happy that she was able to to keep the, the margin to 11 points. That's certainly what it seemed like. But the other big news is that she announced, and I got this wrong, I admit it, she announced that I'm in. I'm going to South Carolina, and I think certainly last night, and now she intends to stay in even through Super Tuesday. So I think South Carolina is about exactly a month away, if I'm not mistaken, 30 days away. Do we not have Nevada sandwiched in there next? Not a lot of attention, it doesn't appear. Uh, on Nevada at this point. I think they've all set up shop in South Carolina. So, yeah, 30 days away, I believe, is when uh, that primary will take place. Yeah, Nevada's February 8th. Okay, and then like a week later, maybe? Uh, uh, South Carolina is exactly a month away. It's February 24th. Okay, there you go. 30 days away. So, um you know, would it not be devastating for the former governor of South Carolina to lose their home state? Sure seems to me like, but she didn't indicate she was willing to exit the race at this point. She is well-funded. She's got plenty of money. And, you know, it's not so much pro-Haley money. I think it's anti-Trump money. But it's people with a lot that can keep her going. So typically, when you think about exiting a race at any level, but it's certainly at this scale, it's because you can't raise any money to continue to campaign. I think one issue for her is she's going to have to work on her messaging. She seems to insist that the establishment is out to get her, and she's trying to paint Donald Trump as the establishment. Yeah, that's misguided. I would agree. And I don't think that's an effective strategy. And I, I sense that as well. I think, if anything, it's quite the opposite. She yeah. She needs to demonstrate to voters that she's not in the pockets of the so-called establishment. The problem is that's exactly who's funding her campaign. So, And, and that's public record. So you can't hide that. It's, at that amount of money, you certainly can't. So, And I've now seen two different videos of two different voters that claim to have voted for Nikki Haley and said they were not planning to vote for her for president. How about that? Interesting. One said that he was still undecided, but that he was just voting as a protest vote against Trump, like you were saying. Yeah. And the others came out and said, I plan to vote for Biden. Yeah. So, you know, they have open primaries. Uh, actually, open from the standpoint that if you're undeclared on your party, correct, you can vote. So it's like a third of them. Right. Uh, so New Hampshire is a state that has a bunch of unaffiliated registered voters. And they allow that. You can be one of the two major parties or neither. And so the neithers were able to vote. And I think that's what you got here as a person that said, yeah, I voted anti-Trump, but I'm not going to vote for her in the general. They're going to vote for Biden. There you go. Uh, you had to declare your affiliation like October 3rd or something. You couldn't do it like a week before the election. So it's just another example of how things are different across the states in, in terms of of uh, the voting process, the elections process. In Mississippi, as you know, you do not associate with a party when you register. In New Hampshire, you do, but one of those can be neither, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Uh, I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, it, it works the same way it does here. Had it advanced to a, a runoff, you would, would not be able to vote in the runoff for a party if you voted in the other party's 
primary. From what I understand, yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, this way it works in Mississippi as well. That does not, however, dictate how you must vote in the general. That starts all over, essentially, at that point. But I felt like she'd exit. I really do. I, I, I felt like that she would see the so-called writing on the wall and that there's not a path. I do not still believe there's a path for her. And I'm a little surprised that she didn't. But golly, she was seemed to be more convicted, more determined uh, than ever. And more, more just committed to pressing on. And that's what we got. Man. The Dow, by the way, is, is uh, in the green today. It's up 73 points. It's been as high as 120 points. We've set a record the last uh, couple of days on the Dow. The NASDAQ is presently up 150. Some good news there from Netflix and Microsoft are driving uh, the NASDAQ. We're going to step aside for a break and come back with uh, 45 minutes remaining of middays in the Element Wealth Studio. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. You just had to do it. It's from the all-head request line on the ceasefire text line. (laughs) Came back to bite us. (laughs) (laughs) It not only is the worst song ever recorded, it by far and away gets the top prize for the worst video. (laughs) Oh, but it's so much fun. (laughs) What is that thing all about? I don't even know. Dancing around the maypole. With the little it's like people. like a fair or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Any chance we'll see a ban on hunting deer with dogs on public hunting lands? Didn't that come up before? On the uh, it's station? come up from time to time. It never goes anywhere because dog hunters are very vocal about their enjoyment of dog hunting. Okay. Stamp equal a tax increase on the ceasefire tax line. You know anything about He was about talking that? about the, the turkey stamp. Okay, yeah, that uh, Representative Kincaid was talking about. Okay. Fix purrs, exclamation point on the all, uh, pardon me, on the ceasefire request line. Uh, met Mr. Kincaid once, bought a bass boat from him. Good guy, Chris from Madison. He certainly is. I agree. I've been paying tuition for my three kids for years and paying taxes to fund other kids at public schools. It would be nice to benefit from my tax money, finally, says Jerry. Uh, and so how would you see what, what would be acceptable to you, Jerry, in terms of the benefits? What are you looking for there? I, I, I'm not sure if what you're saying is that school choice would produce benefit for you, or are you looking for some sort of reimbursement for the tuition, which means we would have universal uh, ESAs, universal school choice, because that's the way that program works. Even if your children are enrolled in private school, you can apply for an education savings account, and you would get a voucher to help defray the cost of tuition in the private school, even if your kids are already in private school. Um, that's the way it works in Arizona. It's the way it works in um, Arizona, uh, pardon me, in Florida as well. 
Somebody also said, yes, yeah, as a parent of a special needs child, school choice is the right thing, says Stacy and Summit. Appreciate that, Stacy. And I hope that means that um, you've been able to leverage the uh, ESA for uh, special needs, your special needs child, and in, in doing so could select the school of your choice that could best suit your child and um, that, that needs a, a, a different type education than just a traditional uh, public school education. You, your specialist is, as you guys know, that focus on educating special needs children. So hopefully that's the case, Stacy. That's good to hear. This is your Royal Highness. <laughs> Hunger is a great motivator, no doubt. Interesting. Del, uh, Bob and Starbuck. I feel Delbert thinks this is a political hot potato. The Black Caucus and NAACP will go crazy. He wants to avoid that. I don't agree, but I get it. I think he's talking about a school choice. And it is true that uh, the lieutenant governor um, is is uh, very strongly supported by the uh, those who oppose school choice. Let's put it that way. The so-called public school education establishment. Uh, it's the Parents Campaign is the organization that comes to mind. Rhino, I think that's what it's called, and and I think they've been vocal in their opposition to school choice, and I do think they have historically supported their lieutenant governor, and I do think that they do have some influence on him. So we shall see. With respect to economic incentives that the state has been been approving for these large-scale projects. We were talking to, in an exchange earlier, Jimmy from Monticello. Here in Monticello, we have some small businesses that employ several people that need some capital investment. Well, I, I hear you, uh, Jimmy, but that honestly, that's what banks are for. Um, in this case, this is a an investment on the part of the state at a scale that's way beyond that because of the um, the return on that investment. That's the first thing that I, that I would say is that it's it's not practical. It's not really plausible to think about, um, if you will, just providing economic incentives to every company, especially those that uh, already operate here. The economic incentive that we provide to these large-scale projects honestly benefits the companies that are already here. They're going to sell goods and services to their employees, to the company. I know, in fact, I can tell you, I know lots of companies that have friends. I say lots, enough you could put on a couple of, ha- a couple of hands there, that benefit tremendously from uh, the whole Nissan complex. A lot of companies in the local area derive revenue and service that. You know that some of these, other, and I, I mention that because it is one that receives some economic incentives. I, I don't know any specifically, but you got to believe that Continental Tire, another big project that went down the last few years, surely there's lots of companies that have benefited from that. Unbelievable. And you think about just the employees traveling out. And I've heard something crazy like Nissan employs here in Canton employs someone from each of the 82 counties? I've actually heard that. I don't I know if it's surprised. true. Yeah, and you do know there's lots of folks that travel in here. And why am I pointing that out? Because when you're traveling, you're usually stopping and buying gas and, and buying other stuff and eating and all kinds of other 
uh, trade and economic activity occurs, just because of where you are. So that's the benefit. We all benefit when uh, these big investments are made in the economy. I guess the other thing I would say is, it's similar to what I've stated a couple of days ago about you're given, in the case of Marshall County, you're, you're providing loans and grants uh, in the amount of $350 million to uh, a, a partnership of companies, three American companies, one Chinese company has a minority interest, 10%, the other three have 30%, that have a combined market cap of $119 billion, $115, well, that's, uh, that's a pretty good indicator they're going to be able to make the state whole. Should they fail to meet their objectives, which I don't see. The problem you get into, Jimmy, is when you start doling out small amounts of money to small businesses, they don't have the balance sheets to guarantee you're going to get paid back. They just don't. If they did, they'd be able to go to the bank and get some sort of help. They could also go to the SBA, get SBA-backed loans, or direct loans from the SBA. Tons of money available for that. That's what those programs are for, and they're able to handle that at a granular level. The state's not in that business. But, and this is something else that may aggravate some people, but then why do these big companies get these incentives? You know the reality is? Because they can. That's just the fact. Hey, state, here's $10 billion if you'll give us 250 to get us started that we promise you're going to get paid back on. And if you're worried about our credit worthiness, oh, we're only worth a trillion dollars. That's just a fact. Uh, you know what I'm saying here, right? Oh, you shaking oh, yeah. your head. I mean, that, and that's how finance works. It just, it just does. So you start... The, their balance sheet is like the collateral. Hey, that's the, the transaction. That's the point. Yes, thank you. Exactly. And it's exactly what it is. So, and I said earlier, if this were a startup, if these were companies that were on shake, shaky financial footing, no, I'd have been blasting it. What do you do in state? These are three companies that have been around for a long time. It's highly unlikely they're going anywhere. This $1.9 billion investment is 1.5% of their combined net worth, and the $350 million the state's given them is, is a third of that. So... It's, it's um, I think, a win-win situation, and where, where small businesses could benefit the most, in my view, is in, is in uh, attracting large businesses that hire lots of people that make very high salaries that spend their money in the communities and in the small businesses. That's what we need. What we've had is, a, is either... a Depending on whose reports you look at, we've had either a slight loss of population or it's been level over the last 10 years, right? Yeah. Or maybe a slight uptick, but not to the degree we need it to be to really boost opportunity and, and just economic prosperity. Well, this is a way to do that. We I think all the benefit initial census that. reporting was a slight loss of population, and then the adjustment put it as a small gain. Okay. Well, a small gain, to me, is... Better than a loss, but not where we want to be, of course. We, we want to see a large gain, and we want to see more economic investment. We want to see more uh, property that's subject to 
to taxes to generate revenue. for the, That's where the school district revenue comes from, to improve the quality of our schools. We want to see opportunities created to keep the people that are graduating from our fine universities that end up just leaving before the ink's dry on their diploma because they can't find work in their home states often. and But we're still paying for their education. I, we're subsidizing the other states because they are attracting these kinds of industries where our, our talent, our young talent is going. Man, I, I want to see them set up shop in Mississippi and make their home here and raise their family here and invest and create businesses and economic activity. That, that's how we're all going to see the quality of our lives improved. And I think we're well on our way in that respect. But we're stepping aside for a break here. Half an hour of Middays remains. We appreciate you joining us. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Shot through the heart and you're too late, darling. You give love a bad name. Headbanging, big hair music, John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Jerry, who earlier on the ceasefire text line was talking about, I've been paying tuition for my kid, uh, my three kids for years, paying taxes to fund other kids' public schools, be nice to benefit from my tax money. And I was confused exactly what he meant. Said, yeah, I'm looking for ESAs. Want to see some progress there and expansion of education savings accounts. Appreciate that. Um, Jerry, thanks for your comments there. Larry Amaya says, how many Democrats voted for Haley? Very few. And here's why, Larry. It's just we talked about. You've got to register to a party. So you can't vote in the Republican primary if you're a registered Democrat. You can if you're not. And as Rhino pointed out, it's like, what, 40% of the voters or something? Or I mean, it's not exactly, but it, it roughly breaks down to 30, 30, and like 33, 33, and 33. I think are, they're... Slightly more Democrat voters registered than Republicans, but I think the independents are a bigger slice of the pie than all of them. But it's roughly a third each. And I would say that that's largely probably due to the way their system works, that I don't want to declare a party because then i got to go change it, and i got to remember to do that three months in advance of the primary. And and these are voters that are, are really not attached permanently permanently to any party and want to vote for a specific candidate as opposed to a party. And I think that's what we have in the state whose slogan is First in Freedom, New Hampshire. Um, I I do think that uh, there's not a path at this point for Nikki Haley, for the ambassador. I don't see it uh, to capture the Republican nomination, but she says she's staying in. She's well-funded. Someone asked, what happens to all that money? Who was that, uh, Rhino, that asked that earlier? They can't find it now, but wanted to know, okay, what happens to all that money that they've raised in a campaign? And so you, you can't keep it personally in accordance with federal law. You can donate it. You could um, 
you could transfer it to a state uh, national or a local political committee. You could transfer it to a PAC. You could transfer it to another candidate. That's done a lot. Yeah. Uh, but you can't just put it in your pocket. Can't You can't do that. Um, I, I, said, I think I said a charitable donation. You could do that as well. So I don't know what her cash on hand is now, but she raised a bunch of money. She's got a lot of wealthy donors that have have uh, certainly contributed to her campaign. No doubt about it. It's not always the school and the teachers talking about school choice and why a student may want to, to move to a different setting than the public school to which they are attached based on their address. This is K-Dog and Wiggins. Sometimes it's parents and students. Some people don't want to learn. Yeah, I mean, there, there's issues of bullying and harassment and just just kind of a, uh, a negative environment in the, in the, that the student is in, in a particular school that they're required to attend based on their address, and then they, they transfer, say, to a charter school or a private school, and things are different, and the child thrives and, and reaches their full learning educational potential. It just, just environments are just different. Scenarios are different, and that's why we need choice. Let's see what else we got here on the C Spire text line. Thomas in Greenwood says, the small businesses could just close, lay off all their employees, then come back and get that incentive as a new business. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with being a new business. That's what he fails to understand here. It's got to do with scale, and it's got to do with competing, because these are typically very large companies that aren't limited to one state or region or area. If you look at the businesses that receive incentives from the state, these typically are global companies that can go anywhere to set up shop. And so you're generally competing with other states who are willing to play and offer incentives. Your choice is to say, we just don't do that, and then you get crossed off the list, and the word then gets out, you never get another opportunity. And so I'll say it again, when the other 49 states discontinue that practice, I'll be the first to head down to the Capitol and demand that our legislators pass legislation that would prohibit such incentives. But as long as... We continue with the reality that is today, which is all 49 other states uh, have and offer incentive programs to to um, such suitors. We're going to have to compete, and we do. And the, but the good news here is that, and again, it can't be said enough. We're we're not uh, we're not just giving money away without getting something in return. Here we're making. A, an investment that these is, aren't high risk investments, right? It, not only is it an investment that's going to produce a, a significant a financial return, it's investments with companies that, should they fail to achieve those objectives in accordance with the clawback provisions, have sufficient assets because they have very, very, very strong balance sheets to make the state whole. And if they didn't, like I said, I wouldn't support this. But $115 billion of market cap is good enough for me. From three companies, domestic companies, that uh, have a track record of decades of profitability. These aren't fly-by-night startups. You know, it's, this is not 
the Barack Obama Solyndra. That was nuts. That was payback to friends. That was a startup company that had no balance sheet, no assets, just a twisted idea, and it was all political, payback, ideological. Here have whatever it was, $800 million, and as that was lighting a match to it, of federal taxpayer dollars. This isn't that. Unfortunately, as, as is the case in so many things, as you know, Rhino, the, the bad, the failures, the defeats, the, they, they tend to drag down the good, the positive, the successes, because they just happen to be using the same, uh, same general conceptual strategy but there's lots of nuances that, that um, uh, are inserted into those which succeed that protect those investments. And, and that's what we, we're dealing with here. But unfortunately, it's the same old thing. You know, when you're a kid, right, when you're, when you're in the classroom and one kid speaks up, the whole class gets punished, that kind of deal. That's sort of what's happening here. So it's, it's the old, what's the metaphor? Throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess. That's probably a good way to describe it. That's not what's going on here. These are absolutely worthy investments with protections, strong protections for the taxpayers of Mississippi to attract massive investments. Um, in, in, in this case, the announcement today in an industry we don't have, we don't play home to. This will get attention, uh, not to mention the jobs that will be created and the sort of uh, wages that are being discussed here. I mean, it's transformational for our state. Really good stuff. Do you think Senator Roger Wicker will go back in, says Larry and Mize. I, I don't know, Larry. I haven't seen any polls on that. I really haven't. I think he has two opponents in a primary. Of course, that's coming up pretty soon here, right? March the 12th, I believe. He's got um, Colonel Gannon Burton from Tupelo that was on the program last week, and Representative Dan Eubanks from DeSoto County, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives. You know, I think, as always, Larry, uh, defeating an entrenched incumbent is very, very difficult, one which is well-funded, has a lot of name ID. It's just, I mean, when you consider all those aspects, it's, it's going to be diff- difficult. I just say that for a challenger, as it always is. Now, if a challenger... Uh, had had strong name ID, had had um, significant funding. Yeah, they would have a much better shot at defeating uh, an incumbent, and that's true. Not just not Mississippi. I mean, that's true everywhere, of course. So, but at this point, I am concerned about the president. I haven't said that before, but just looking at some latest polls in the swing states, I'm a little concerned about the former president. Uh, recapturing the White House, and of course he said the country's over if he doesn't win. It's, it's done. I don't actually believe that. I understand why you would say that for political purposes, uh, but I do think that another term of, of Joe Biden would be devastating for the country. I don't, I don't see how he could perform, honestly. He's struggling now, and <clears throat> you're seeing sort of a steady decline physically and cognitively. It seems like every time he he, he does any kind of public speaking or just appears in public. It's, um, and you know, we got, what, seven months left. So it's, we still got some time for that to eight months to get even worse. I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's a scary thing, but it, it looks like right now we're set for a redo of 2020 with respect to Joe Biden and, and uh, Donald Trump. 
the president and the former president being the choices there for the people. All about them swing states. I do think you would see the former president active in those swing states when the current president stays home the way uh, we saw it unfold in 2016. Ultimately, I think, uh, swept him into office. Coming right back on Middays with a final segment. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. It's Middays. We thank you for joining us. So let's see here. Um, Bobby and Batesville says Trump should show up and debate Kamala Harris in the VP debate because she'll be the next president if Biden wins. I don't see him as our president in five years, even if he wins. Not being mean, but uh, Biden wins, that means President Harris, and that should scare everyone. Imagine eight years of a Harris presidency. The country couldn't survive. Yeah, it scares me, no doubt about it, Bobby. I hear you. Um, I I just don't know. I really don't. It's, it, it's what you're really doing is contrasting that with the anti-Trump sentiment in those few counties where it matters in those four states. I, I can't emphasize that enough. That's what it really comes down to. Forget the rest of the country. It don't matter. It's not going to change anything in Mississippi. It's not going to change anything in California. not going to change anything in New York. What matters is Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and maybe Georgia, maybe Arizona. That's what matters. And, and, in, and in those states, it's only a few counties. It's, it's ridiculous how razor-thin it is and just how how, I guess, tenuous presidential elections are. But that's what it's going to come down to, as it always does. And so I predict we will see President Donald Trump extremely active in those states. It does no good to go to California. It really doesn't do him any good to come here. Now, when he was a new candidate, 2016, he came here, which I appreciate. Yeah, I think that made sense. But I think given the circumstances now and the the uh, the knowledge that you're going to win that state no matter what, and you're not trying to kind of get your name out. I mean, not that the guy didn't have name ID, but you're not trying to, I guess, cast this broad net and build this huge base of support. You got that now. That's the point. What you got to focus on are those four states where you got to get those people <clears throat> convinced that you need to be back in office and that Biden is bad for the country, I think there's an easy case to be made for that, honestly. But that's where I think you'll see him active. I just don't see Joe Biden spending a lot of time publicly, rallies and town halls and the like, in those states. I don't see it. Now, last time, the former president really couldn't do that because of the COVID crap. And I think that one of his most valuable weapons and tools was essentially diminished. Could have made a difference in 2020. I'm convinced it made a difference in 16, especially those last-minute rallies in those states a few days from Election Day. 
And Hillary was home on her butt. Oh, yeah. That, no doubt that made a difference. Where's she been anyway, Kamala? She's actually been out a lot. She's been campaigning a lot. In fact, she's way out more than Joe is. And she's really, really, they're all hammering this abortion thing. And what they're doing is they're equating abortion to freedom and democracy. All this narrative about, you've got to vote for Joe to protect your freedom and democracy, all really boils down to abortion. And this fear that Donald Trump's going to come in and weaponize the government against his political foes. You mean what Joe Biden's been doing three years? And, of course, the president's response to that when he was asked, I thought was the best I've ever heard from him. He said, yeah, we're, we're going to, our retribution's going to be our success. We're going to be so busy winning and succeeding. I applaud him for that. I like that. I agree. It's, it's no different than smack-talking before a sports contest and then pointing to the scoreboard when it's over. It's kind of the same deal, in my view. So I respect him for that. Could you imagine her first address to the nation Today I became president. Presidents have a very important job, and I will do the job. I can't read the rest of it. Yeah, I hear you, Bobby. Just a bunch of word salad nonsense. Joe Biden will bow out, and they will slide Michelle Obama in. Watch that. Cooper, uh, pardon me, Copper from North Mississippi. I don't see that at this point. I really don't. I, I, I know there's a lot of theories along those lines. I, I believe that he's out there cutting deals with all the delegates, and if you study how delegates are earned and, and um, earned, yeah, assigned, credited in the Democrat uh, process, it's completely different than the Republican, especially with the so-called superdelegates that can vote for whomever they want. Um, I, and so I would say this, though, think about it. If Michelle Obama is going to win, I don't think she could do so between August and November. I, it'd be hard for just somebody to parachute in, I'm your nominee, and, and put the apparatus together, have all the money, et cetera, and start traversing the country. Making Especially considering her only real dabble in politics was that awful school lunch program. <laughs> That's true. The terrible food. Wheat toast and mashed something that winds up in the trash and the kids don't get any food because they don't want to eat that garbage. Right. Do we know yet if we were the highest incentive bidder talking about on this uh, these projects? We're not going to know uh, because that's all private information. That's all under non-disclosure. It's not going to be disclosed talking about these big economic development projects. Um, you know, I, I still believe that uh, we got a long way to go to Election Day, and it's going to continue to be very, very interesting. But as a betting man, if I were betting today, if I were, I'd say it's Donald Trump and Joe Biden, the former president and the current president. We're out of here today. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.